Dude, I'm so excited to announce today's sponsor. So when I was a kid uh, growing up, cereal was an actual food group for me. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm a mature adult, cereal is actually a food group for me. Unfortunately, the stuff that you buy in the store doesn't really fit very well with my macros. And now we actually do have an answer for something that is healthy for us. And it does fit my macros. That's the great thing about Magic Spoon, guys. Number one, Magic Spoon doesn't taste like cardboard or crap. <laughs> no, Seriously. It's so good. It tastes like actual cereal, like the cereal you ate as a kid, but it doesn't come with all the excess carbohydrates, all the excess sugar. It doesn't make you feel bad. It doesn't mess with your gut. It's so dang good. And the great thing, guys, is the macros. Now, Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, four grams of net carbs, 14 grams of protein, and it is 140 total calories per serving. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Literally, they have great players they have a cocoa peanut butter frosted there's a lot of different flavors on their website and you guys really want to check them out matt andrew how do you, i almost called you magic i was like magic, magic. i'll take it, it? But yeah all right well magic there it goes so uh yeah head over to magicspoon.com slash power project um i recommend that you guys get a variety pack so that way you can figure out which flavor is your favorite um it's kind of hard to pick one but that frosted is just incredible <laughs> but, but yeah magicspoon.com slash power project and you're going to receive five dollars off that variety pack links to them down in the description as well as the podcast show notes head over there right now so you can enjoy cereal again uh, and Seema's not going to let me be on the outside. No, I don't want to be over there. <laughs> Trying to out-angle each other over here. <laughs> These guys came in today looking like uh, WWE wrestlers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm rolling on my side. I don't know. How's the video doing? Everything good? Everything going? We're DTF. Down to film. All right, so here we go. Uh, CT, you mind uh, explaining how this came to be today? Because it was kind of unconventional, but I know you have unconventional thoughts, so I tried to poke and prod at you a bit to get you here today. Uh, Mark called me up and he said, hey, CT, get your ass up with super training. (laughs) And I said, yes, sir. (laughs) Uh, It was something like that, but you go into more detail there, Smelly. (laughs) Yeah, I was just uh, messing with CT. I know that um, he's been through a lot. I know that the family's been through a lot with uh, CT literally standing here today with somebody else's heart inside of his body. Pretty uh, incredible story. And so I was just thinking about him. I was watching uh, one of the videos he had up, and I just like, I love this guy. And I know everybody else does too. So I just hit him up. I was like, we need you around. We need you back on the podcast. We need you at Super Training Gym. And uh, he and I went back and forth just a little bit, and he's like, I'm there. And so here we go. Here we are. He said, I don't travel, Smelly, but for <laughs> you. And then I heard uh, Mr. Bell was going to be here, and I would uh, go anywhere, do anything for that man right there. Uh, you guys it. don't know, but uh, Smelly told you a little bit. I had a heart transplant, and when I was down down, 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 down. <laughs> Mr. Bell called me up and he said, hey, CT, do you mind if I pray for you? <laughs> and I'm a big believer. I don't try to convince anybody else to believe it, but I'm a big believer in prayer. And when he said that, I said, yes, sir, I need those prayers. And he prayed for me. And from then on, Mr. Bell is my hero. So, <laughs> yeah, Mark, Mark called, but I had to come with Mr. Bell. I knew he was going to be here. 
what's it uh what's it been like having your son samson uh getting into lifting and getting strong now and everything my son uh has recently started lifting and he's catching the bug he's in here every day now so i'm like oh shit like it's happening but what's it like having your son getting into lifting the way he is uh you know you already know but uh to see my son it's if you guys uh follow him from the the very beginning, he used to trail behind me in the gym, you know, when he was a little, little bitty kid. You know, we used to go up to gold gyms on the weekend when, and he'd be, you know, I want to go. I want to go, you know. <laughs> and he still just barely out of diapers. He wanted to go with daddy wherever I was going, man. And he'd been trailing behind me at the gym. And, but whenever you're the son of Mark Smelly Bell or an old guy like C.T. Fletcher, then the expectations are going to be through the roof. And if you make any kind of mistake, everybody is going to be quick to say, hey, you're not your dad. You're not Mark Smelly Bell. You're not. And he's not supposed to be Mark Smelly Bell. He's not supposed to be C.T. Fletcher. He's Samson Fletcher. I'm C.T. Fletcher, and that's my son. And I'm super proud of him. He... Um, you know, he withstood all the hate because it was a ton of it. I mean, all, you know, one one bad lift or one miss, and I mean, they come out the woodwork. Everybody oh, all of a sudden man. knows how to deadlift, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they were all, oh, and, and he took that, took all of it, and continued to lift, continued to stand in. So I'm super, super proud of my son, and I know you are of yours, too. Did that uh, hurt you? Like, was seeing negative comments and, and those kinds of things? Because you're probably like, this is going to be fun. It's a good opportunity to bond with my dad, and you get into lifting, and then kind of all that hate happens. I say it hurt me in a good way. Uh, I used that for fuel. And, uh, yep, I just used the criticism for fuel, and it ignited that passion even more to let them know that, you know, nothing will stop me. And I'm still here. What are some big goals that you have personally? Because, like, your dad, obviously, a world champion at a certain point, right? Yes. So for you, within, this, within the realm of strength, and then not just out in that, but, like, just doing what you're doing, what are some things that you want to do differently for yourself, potentially? And maybe some things also down that lane of strength. Just, you know, uh, that's a really good question. <laughs> uh, just honestly being a better person, better dad, first and foremost. And um, helping others, just how he did. Wow. That makes me wonder, too, real quick, being a great father, too. Yes. Like, CT, you, you talked a lot about, like, your dad and things you had to face in terms of becoming a father yourself. So that makes me wonder, number one, what do you think you learned having multiple kids, right, and having to be the father that you did not have? Because there's probably a, maybe a few fathers in here what are some big things that maybe men should understand and know in terms of being a good father to whether it's a daughter or a son, et cetera? Communication is key. Um, my dad lived to be 86 years old, and we never, one time in 86 years that he was on this earth, that had a conversation. I never held a conversation with my dad. Uh, and all that time he was here, you know, the longest conversation we had probably was three or four minutes. Yep. And that's with me, uh, 
when I apologized to my dad, because I waited my whole life to get an apology from him, which was never going to come. That was going to, I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm close to dying, and he may die, <laughs> he's 86 years, I'm not going to get this apology, and this thing is, that I've been carrying my whole life is eating me up. It seems like he's fine, but it's kicking my ass. I can't sleep at night. I'm waking up punching and, and kicking. You know, I'm fighting my dad. When I'm 58, 59 years old, and I'm still fighting my dad in my sleep, man. So I said, I got to get this burden off of me. I'm not going to get here. He's never going to apologize, so I'm going to do the apologizing. I said, look, Dad, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for holding all this resentment against you for all these years. You know, I'm sorry for the way uh, I felt about you for all these years. I'm, I apologize to you, and I hope that uh, you can accept my apology. And uh, he, he graciously accepted my apology. <laughs> I said, thanks, Dad. I still didn't get mine. <laughs> at least he accepted my apology. So yeah. I was able to sleep at night after that, man. I, I, I didn't wake up anymore kicking and punching, so... If you're holding a grudge against somebody, it's doing you a lot more damage than it's doing them. Get it off, man. Tell them, hey, you know, forgive them and, and get on. Life's too short, way too short. also think just amongst family members, uh, whether it's spouse or whether it's a brother, sister, a son, just stopping for a second and telling someone that you're proud of them. It doesn't really, it doesn't... <laughs> doesn't cost you anything to do it, you know? And uh, I know sometimes, you know, there's sibling rivalry amongst uh, kids or there's um, even some family rivalry, you know? There's competition everywhere. Um, but just, you know, giving pause to that just for a second. Just My dad called me uh, like two days ago and just told, I mean, he does it, he does it fairly frequently, but he was just telling me how proud he was. And it's like... Uh, I mean that gives you a that gives you a huge boost, you know. I think that maybe when someone says that, I don't think they maybe understand like how like that might be the most powerful thing that you can do for somebody. Um, Smelly, you said a great deal right there. If my dad had told me that you know he was sorry, uh, all those trips to the ER and. All them black eyes and broken noses, I'd have forgiven. Just to hear, I'm sorry. So it's super important. So you actually uh, you got to meet my son today. Thank you so much. Yeah, Man, that's super heavyweight. I know, I know, right? <laughs> uh, how can so like you did an amazing job because Samson he's pushing it in the gym. He's trying to be a better man. That was like one of the coolest things I've ever heard. How can I push him to be a stronger man, be a better man, without getting any resentment? You know, like, I don't want to be the dad that's like, no, son, you're going to be in the gym every day you're not going to school or whatever it may be, right? <laughs> I don't want to do that because what's going to happen? He's going to be resentful and exactly. not want to go. Absolutely. But what do you think is, like, the right way to go about encouraging him to, you know, come, come clang and bang with, you know, with us? Whatever it is, son, whatever it is that you decide to do, I'm going to be proud of you. I never tried to get him to be a weightlifter, you know, uh, because I knew if that's the lane that he chose, he was going to get that comparison right away. And I knew it wasn't going to be an easy road to travel. Um, 
being a weightlifter and your dad was a weightlifter, always going to be that comparison. But, you know, uh, I believed, always believed, and I still believe that he's going to surpass anything that I ever did. But just let him know that how proud you are of whatever he chooses to do. I'm going to be, I'm your number one cheerleader, son, <laughs> whatever it is. You guys have uh, quite a bit of years between you and, uh, you know, things change over the years. So my dad and I, we talk about politics. We talk about all kinds of different stuff, talk about race. And uh, like, what do you think is, uh, CT, what do you think is kind of different in today's society uh, versus maybe the way that you grew up in the, uh, however, <laughs> I forget how old you are. Are you 60s, 60. Yep. Are you going through the I grew time? I in the 60s. You going 62, up, you, yeah. you growing up with some of the, some of the time periods that you mm-hmm. grew up versus, you know, what you're seeing your son uh, grow up with and, and, yeah, what are just some of the kind of, I guess, major differences that you've seen? Um, the major differences are things that <laughs> used to be um, taboo or uh, not said out loud or shit. I mean, shoot. Excuse That's me, okay. Mr. Bell. Things that I, I never thought I'd see in my lifetime are, you know, front and center now. And it's, it's okay. It's just okay. You know, and I'm like, uh, back then, what the fuck? I mean, what, Mr. <laughs> Bell, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I'm like, what, you know, when did this become okay? And I thought, you know, uh, we was a, a lot more conservative back then. You know, my, my dad taught me to, uh, work hard. And uh, the work for if you wanted, I mean, he taught me that very early. And it, I talked about that, but everything wasn't bad. He, he taught me a work ethic, ethic that uh, was, you know, second to none. If you want anything, don't ask for it, work for it. I'm like, hey, Dad, I was looking through a sales paper. Hey, that's, that's cheap. What do you know about cheap? You don't know anything about cheap. You got to go out and get a job and work for the thing you know something about cheap. I was like four. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> But as soon as I could, got my ass up, start cutting yards, throwing paper, uh, paper route or, or whatever, working at a gas station 12 hours a day when I was 12 years old. Uh, Mr. Fletcher taught me to work. He taught me to work for it, man. And I, I try to instill that same thing in my son, but it's a lot crazier place uh, today. The world is a lot crazier place than it was in the 60s. And I thought it was crazy then, but it's yeah, man, it's night and day now. Yeah. I think a big aspect of that is like, you know, if you're, if you're on like Instagram or TikTok or any of these apps, right, you see everything that's going on. And one thing that I was realizing, especially when I'm talking to like, I have friends that are like 20, 21, 22. It's weird to say early 20s. But yeah. Um, and they're talking about like things that are going on in Israel, things that are going on in different parts of the United States. Whereas back then, you didn't know everything that was going on everywhere. And people are stressed, stressed out. <laughs> Because of all of that, right? And I'm just curious because, I mean, first off, you came from an era where, like, you had to physically deal with effed up things in the 60s, the early 70s, right? But now that you see everything and everyone sees everything, I know you mentioned that it was more conservative back then, but do you feel that it is, things are heading towards a better place now since everyone can see everything that's going on, or does it make things a little bit harder? Shit, sometimes I wish it Sometimes I wish it, uh, things were uh, a little more like it was back then, really. Really? To tell you the truth, uh, with everything being out. But, you know, 
I'm still stuck in the 60s. I still like old stuff. <laughs> I like old cars. My house is filled with old things. I, I love the 60s. Was my, I, if I could go back, I probably would go back. I, mean, I like the 60s a lot. But we've, we've made a whole lot of advances, but everything I don't consider to be, you know, uh, a great advance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I wish we still had some of the, the moral codes and ethics that we had back then. And I still wish that, you know, parents taught their kids respect like we did back then. Because growing up back then, I, I believe every kid was taught to respect their elders. I mean, that was normal. Mm. And now you see kids cussing out uh, their elders and their moms and their dad. If I thought about it, <laughs> you know I mean? if I just frowned up at my dad, <laughs> I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> so, you know, I see them cussing their parents out. So some things I wish were more like they were back then. But um, some things, the advances that we made, you know, we don't have to sit in the back of the bus. There's not colored only water fountains. You know, I came when I came to California with my mom from Arkansas. We had to ride in the back of the bus, and uh, uh, you know, today we can sit in the front, and and so some of us are driving the bus. So those kind of changes I like. What about how sensitive everyone is now? You can't say the right thing. You can't call them the right this or that. I mean, I'm sure Samson, you probably had to tell him like, you can't say that. <laughs> so things right. like that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, big time. I mean, I, I, you know, I slip and say the wrong thing all the time. Uh, and I don't, don't know, Mark. I didn't know I was messing up. But, you know, uh, they have to correct me, you know, correct terms. You can't say this. You can't say that. And I'm like, oh, wow, because I never mean any disrespect. Um, I'm just an old guy. Sometimes I say old stuff from back in the day. No, you can't say that no more. So, thank, luckily, I got Samson in to keep me straight. I feel like training and, and fitness in a lot of ways is like a secret, you know, like a, a lot of us know about it, millions of people that know about it, millions of people that enjoy it, but it seems to uh, crosses over a lot of boundaries, you know, it crosses over people being in their own minds thinking that they're not capable of things, it seems to cross over race barriers and all different kinds of things because we all love to come together and, and train. Um, what has your experience been over the years, you know, with with the camaraderie of training and going around the world and like breaking world records and those kinds of um, I have a saying that says we're all the same under the bar. And that's because, you know, weight don't give a damn. Excuse me, Mr. Bell. Weight does not give a damn what color you are, uh, your nationality. It does not care. Heavy is heavy. <laughs> it treats us all the same. Now, I would like people to be more like weight. To treat everybody the same, man. We're all the same. Um, that's a, a big thing, a big message that I, when I used to travel all over the planet, we're all the same, man. I went to Russia, and they treated me wonderfully in Russia. One of my favorite trips. And if you look at the news, you would think, oh, no, no, they hate us in Russia. But Russia was fantastic, man. I was thinking about moving over there. It was so wonderful. So, um that's one thing that weight weightlifting does. I mean, whenever you've been, I know you've been all over the place. And weightlifters are weight, uh, like a big ass family. And, uh, Universal language. Absolutely. Seeing somebody lift something heavy, it's yep. a it's a body of work. And absolutely. I think anyone else that lifts can say, "Hey, that was that took a long time to do 
be able to develop that. Yeah, we can appreciate it. Of course, we're going to have haters all the time. <laughs> Can't get rid of them. <laughs> it kind of makes me wonder, though, because like, I think as, as people, there's a lot of different types of people in this room right now. Humans generally, when they see something or somebody that's different from them, there's an intrinsic, like, there's an intrinsic camaraderie that I have with you two because I can physically see, and it's not even, it's not even when I think about it, I just can see that y'all look the same as me. So there's a level of comfort that's there even though I've never really met either of you guys. But when it comes to me and Mark, there's this visible difference between us two, and there's a slight level of discomfort even though there's nothing to be uncomfortable about. I mean, I don't feel uncomfortable towards you, you know I love you, but like with everybody, there is that. And people always wonder, like, is there a way that, <laughs> there's this phrase that we can't, we don't, or people don't see color. Is there a way that people can, that that's actually going to end up not being a thing over time? Like, do you, like, especially being what, going through the things you've gone through, is that a possibility in your opinion? A hundred percent. Okay, I'm so, and the reason why I said a hundred percent possible uh, is because my mom taught me, you know, even though we came over here in the back of a bus, my mom taught me, son, you have to love everybody. Yeah. And she taught me that, you know, as far back as I, I was diapers, or for as far back as you have to, and I'm like, but mom, everybody? And she's like, yeah, everybody, everybody son. Um, it's easy, she said, it's easy to love people who love you back. That's Anybody can do that. Loving people who love you back, that's no problem. Anybody can do that. That's the easy part. But if you want to be like Christ, you want to be like the Lord, you got to love them people that don't love you. Then you're doing something. It's, it's so easy. Oh, yeah, you love me. I love, I love you back. No problem. But if you love somebody that hates you mm. for no reason, oh, boy, then you're doing something. Then you got that, you know, that Christ-like thing. Then you, then you, so I watched my mother's example her whole entire life. So I know, I knew that it was absolutely possible. So that's what I always strove for, to be like my mom. She loved everybody. Didn't make her no difference whatsoever. And, and I'm, it's, I've seen a whole lot of church folks, grew up around a whole lot of church. That's probably why I'm not religious today. Because I grew up in religious, super religious. Super religious. Everything was a sin. That's probably why I'm not religious, but I am a man of faith. I believe mama was right. That you have to love everybody. She didn't, you don't see no color. You don't see no, that's just, because it's assholes in every, excuse me, it's assholes in every color. I, I, every color whatsoever. I mean, the sun, just like a good people, it's assholes in every color. But you gotta love everybody, even them assholes. And mama Fletcher proved it, and I, that's how I try to live my life. Do you uh, use the N-word? No. Hell no. And what? And why not? <laughs> Hell no. You guys hear me say every bad word under the sun, mm. but you will never, you can look at all my videos, <laughs> you will never, ever hear C.T. Fletcher say the N-word. And it's like this. That's how I explained it to Heath. Uh, I forget uh, his last name. Heath. Evans. Yeah, yeah. He asked me the same question. And I said it's like this. Okay. Uh, people call each other the other, like they rap songs. I mean, that's the number one lyric is, is the N word. And they cause, but they say 
back and forth to each other all the time, back and forth. In work this, in work that, in work this, in work that. He said, how come it's okay for them to say it to each other, but I can't say it, CT? Now, see, it's like this. Mark Bell, where's the boar at? The boar. Oh, he's in here somewhere. Okay. My brother, yeah. His brother. I'm sure when you and him grew up, y'all used to get in fights. Oh, man. And y'all call each other everything under the sun. That's it's my brother, but I call him everything under the sun. We fight and strap and go back and forth with each other. But you met John from down the street come over there and talk about whooping your brother's ass. You got a problem. John got a problem because John ain't in the family. That's right. I can call my brother anything. But John ain't in his family. So, John, you can't, you can't, and the family, you know, black folks, the skin color makes them, whether they want to admit it, it makes them, they all came from Africa, we all got a little family bond there. So they think it's perfectly fine to say it amongst each other. And that's the difference, that's family, because they know, because you knew that you could call your brother this and yell at him, but I still love him. Right. He's still my brother. I love him. I love him. So black folks, say, oh, I can call him when I call him because they know that there's no animosity, there's no bad will. They don't really, they don't mean nothing by it. I love him. He's still my brother. I still love him. I'm just saying this, you know, because it's the cool thing or it's funny, it sounds funny or whatever. There's nothing behind it. But then you have somebody else say it. But the reason I don't say it because if you do say it, I feel like just like he asked me, just like he told me. Well, how come I can't say it? If everybody say it, I feel if I say it, then he got the right to ask me, well, how come I can't say it? If I throw it around like it's nothing, I throw it around like it's, the, you know, the cool thing to say, well, how come I can't say it? I tell, you know, so I, I don't want him or anybody to say, well, CT was saying it. <laughs> that's, that's okay, because oh, it ain't. You can say it amongst your friends all you want to, but you can't say it around me. Or oh, oh, we're going to have a problem. Outside, do you do that? Sort of thing? Do, you, do you, you know, say the N word? Yeah, I'm just curious since he doesn't. Do you ever? Sometimes. All right, it's all good. <laughs> gotta be careful with this mic. Oh, some close friends. Yelling. I'm sorry. Some right. close friends. You know. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm just curious. CT, I'm curious. What What do you think about um, Nas? A couple albums ago, he wanted to name his album the N word. Because his idea was, I'm just going to make it and put it out there so there's, it no longer has power. But then, you know, the heads of the company are probably like, we, we, can't, yeah, like, we can't sell that. Look, you got NWO, right? Or, or NWA. NWA, sorry, yeah. NWA. NWA is good. Though. <laughs> oh, he's thinking of wrestling. I did wrestling. Sorry. But yeah, I'm just curious. Like, do you think there's any merit to trying to like not give it any more power, or is it just let's just never say it again and get rid of it and forget it exists? Um, you say Nas? Yeah, Nas. Okay, uh, I don't listen to rap, first of all, mm-hmm. but uh, no, I don't. I mean, it, occasionally mm-hmm. because Samson plays it, but if uh, that's for me. If they didn't have no rap, I'd be okay. All right. All right. Uh, Nas, uh, his theory on that. I think of a, a very famous comedian named Richard Pryor. Yes. His favorite word was the N-word. Every other word 
was the N-word. And it's and then he one one day he got up and he went to Africa and he took a trip over there and he came back and he was, his eyes was open and said, I'll never say the N-word again. I'm on the same tip that Richard Pryor's on. Yeah. Now I, I don't care to make it so common that it has not that it lose pockets. I don't I don't believe that. I it, the the power behind it is depends on the person delivering it. It doesn't depend on, you know, uh, whether it was so common that it was going to just going to sap all the power. That's bullshit. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I did happen to disagree with Mr. Nas. Nope. Yeah, I'm really happy you said that. I mean, I have friends that will say it around me, and it has gotten so common that I don't even acknowledge it. I hadn't seen it the other day. Like, what happens when it's said? I'm just like, I honestly, like, it's just because I do listen to a lot of hip-hop. Like, it, I don't even acknowledge it. So I didn't know if I was doing a good thing or being like, whoa, <laughs> you need to stop. So I'm glad you said that so that way more people can just get rid of it in the voc- their vocabulary. Yeah, that's that's my opinion. Yeah. You know, when I'm an old dude. You know, probably I dig it. And Seema probably don't feel the same way. <laughs> I'm 50-50. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't hit me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hit me. It, okay, you say it doesn't hit you. Yeah. But if a blatant person blatant racist said it to you would it hit you then would it make it any different i mean that's happened to me a few times and and i i like when as i got older i just like like ah okay i'm I'm gonna ignore that because number one i look the way i do now the last time that happened i'm like if this person has the audacity to say that to me there's something that's not right up here like if you have the courage to look at me and then you think you can do that i'm out so i just left the situation um, but when I was younger, I got expelled from, from this uh, Catholic school, St. Joseph's, because this guy, Michael, uh, he said that, and he, and he flipped me off, Fucking and then I Michael. broke his finger back. So <laughs> I didn't always have that self-control. So, I mean, if it happened to me now, I, I'm calm now. <laughs> it wasn't always the case. That's a good answer. Yeah. I still think somebody can get on these skin. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. Do you think that uh, it's it's hard to interpret, you know, what other people are saying or what other people are talking about? Um, and it's very easy for people to, um, you know, say the comment that you said, where someone's like, "Well, you know, you're saying it. Why can't we say it?" Um, and people will probably most likely always think that way, you yeah. know. So, you know, I, I guess it's just up to the individual on how they think they should use it or when they think they should use it, but. Yeah. That's why I, I'm for the general ban yeah. of the term period. It's not, if you tell, if you send out the message that it's not okay in rap songs, it's not okay for you to, if it's not, it's not okay anytime. If you send that message, you get that message out there, then you won't have that question. That's why I'm of the mind I am to just, it's a bad term to use any fucking time. How did, uh, when, when did you first uh, recognize Samson that you were, starting to get hooked when you started becoming like an iron addict? Because I know that your dad said you were in the gym a bunch, but was there like kind of a moment where you're like, oh, this is for me too. I really like this a lot. I was about 14 and uh, we're at uh, Metroplex. And um, I think it was like a four plates on the trap bar. And uh, I did that <laughs> at 14. I was like, Google that form. Really but strong. I, I got it up though. You know, which I think you have a video of it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, that was when I flipped the switch. I was like, okay. And then um, 
between all of us here, uh, my dad would always tell me, and I started believing that, that um, our genetics were kind of like one of a kind. And, you know, because it goes down from, you know, uh, you know, our roots. My grandpa, you know, mule, he's known to pull out a, put a donkey out the ditch. (laughs) And when I started, you know, pulling some stuff and not so good form because, you know, I didn't really care about it at the time. But over time, you start to, you know, mature, Hmm. start to get better with the negative. When he uh, when he did that 405 trap bar deadlift, was it hard to hold back the tears? CT, where you trying to like trying to play it cool in the corner, just be like, "Hey, son, that was a good job." <laughs> no, hell no. All I needed was some pom poms because I was cheerleading my ass off, man. Yeah, that's my boy, you know. <laughs> so you know, I'm I'm always extremely proud of him. Uh, if he didn't want to be a weightlifter, I would be extremely proud of him. I have another son that's not a weightlifter, and I'm extremely proud of him too. So you guys don't see much of him, but I'm just as proud of him. You know. Did you start lifting to maybe build yourself up to be able to confront your dad or anything like that, or is it totally separate? Uh, I, absolutely. Um, I started doing everything. I joined the Army as soon as I could. Uh, 17, I had to wait before I started basic training at 18. When I joined at 17, and as soon as I got in there, I started uh, my martial arts lessons. I started lifting weights. I started. Did you ever doing... see like him throwing a kick and stuff? <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I, I wanted wild. to, uh, yeah, I wanted to destroy my dad. I wanted to be, become so proficient in martial arts and find that I could whoop his ass easy. I want to talk to him when I whoop his ass like he used to talk to me when he was whooping my ass. You, know? you better not cry. I want to tell him the same fucking, you better not cry, motherfucker. You know? So I wanted to get that good at it. So that's, uh, yeah, that had a, a big driving force on me. I mean, I was uh, practicing every day, you know, four or five. I'd go to work, uh, still come home and practice four or five, and just punching and kicking and all my different routines, sparring and stuff. I wanted to whoop Pop's ass, and you better not cry. <laughs> yeah. When you gained that discipline, did you utilize it against them, or did you just? You probably felt differently once you knew how to defend yourself. Once uh, I got all the satisfaction in the world, once I knew that I could do it, that was enough. Once I knew that I could do it, and he knew that I could do it, then I was completely fine. You know, after that. I didn't. I didn't have to actually do it, as long as he knew. You know, uh, when I was able to tell my dad, you know what. I ain't scared of you. Oh, man, it was like uh, 10,000 pounds was lifted off my shoulders. The bit, it's looking at the big bad wolf, and it's like Little Red Robin telling the big bad wolf, I ain't scared of you. What you want to do, you know? <laughs> no problem. Whatever you want to do, it's cool with me, wolf. You know, So uh, that, that relieved all of that tension once I was able to do that. I'm just curious, like, what spurred for you the the understanding that you had to be the one to forgive him, and number one, and number two, like, how you found the idea that you didn't necessarily need the closure of hearing those words from him. Because, I mean, he's still alive, right? No. No, he's not alive. Yeah, he so, passed away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he passed away, and I, I you know, never got those... those uh, huh? Yeah, yeah. He passed For, away within the last five years. Ago, mm-hmm, right? Yes, okay. uh-huh, yeah, about two years ago. And I... Well, three years ago, because I couldn't go to his funeral because I was having a heart transplant. 
for three years. That's why I couldn't make the possible. I would have went, but I couldn't go because uh, they said if I, I left, then I would have to start all over back on the transplant list and get, go back to the bottom. Of the, I'm like, no, I, you know, I, I kind of want to stay around for a little while longer if I can, so I'll go ahead and stay here. you got to forgive me, Pops, so I'm not going to be able to make it to your funeral. So I didn't make it to Pops' funeral. But uh, I knew that, you know, last, last time I talked to him, uh, that I was not going to get that apology. That was, I, you know, I had hopes and dreams. Man, if Pops would just say, I'm sorry, all them years of me hiding in the closet when I heard his keys jingling in the door, you know, wanting to disappear. I wanted to just physically disappear, vanish. And, and when I knew my dad was coming, I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I could just vanish. And I, I wanted to be the invisible man big time. That was a series coming And uh, I knew that. I was never going to get out. So he's 86. It's my last opportunity to talk to him. I wanted to finally hold a conversation with him. And as long as this conversation was, look, Dad, I'm apologizing to you because I think, you know, you're probably going to outlive me. At that point, I thought he was going to outlive me. So I'm like, you know, I don't want to leave this earth uh, with feeling like this or holding this against you. So I have to get this off me. You're obviously never going to say you're sorry to me. I didn't tell him that, but I'm saying, I just want to apologize for holding this in my heart against you for all these years. And, you know, he uh, actually, he didn't say, well, it didn't worry. He just nodded his head. So I took that as him ex- accepting my apology. So he nodded his head. I gave him a kiss on the forehead. And that was the last time I seen my dad. Do you have uh, any resentment? Like towards, it's kind of might sound like a weird question, but do you have any resentment towards uh, the fact that he still sort of made you into Compton Superman? <laughs> like you wouldn't have been Compton Superman without him, probably. So, absolutely, it's like it's a fucked up way of sorry, Dan. The <laughs> 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 messed up way of looking at it, but right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I used to, you know, resent it a whole lot, but. If it wasn't for Buddy Fletcher, Corporal Buddy Fletcher, United States Army, you know, I would definitely would not be uh, the person I am today. Because I, when I went into the Army, I was ready for the Army. I was already used to saluting and standing at attention and saying, yes, sir, no, sir, because that's what we had to do. My dad was, uh, he was a soldier uh, until he left this earth. Um, we talk about mental, I was talking to your dad a little bit about a bit about uh, mental aspects and the, the, the depression and stuff. And my dad was, they used to call it back then, Mr. Bell, shell shot. Um, and they call it PTSD now. But the term back then was shell shot. And my dad went into the Army when he was 16 years old. He had a guy named Arthur Levin. I'll never forget this. He didn't talk about it much, but Arthur Levin signed the papers so he could go into the Army at 16. So he went in the Korean War at 16 years old. So if you can imagine what you were doing at 16, and this guy's in the Korean War, dead bodies, all the people blown apart, people that he went through basic training with, blown to pieces at 16 years old, it's going to leave you a little nutty. Uh, oh, excuse me, that's not, I know that's not uh, PC to say nutty, but you're going to have a mental problem. 
So he had a, 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 a mental problem. And, you know, they didn't talk much about it. I, I, I had to find out this from relatives that knew that, you know. And it's, not, it's not interesting to think, to reflect on that because, I mean, not to make excuses for him, but maybe he did suffer from severe depression. Maybe he had a bunch of concussions. Like maybe he, like you said, saw horrific things, wasn't able to, you know, really turn the corner. And live. maybe there was, you know, if there's a time period in his life where he wasn't maybe violent, like was he, I don't know if you've heard that from your you mom, mean besides your at mom home? or something. <laughs> yeah. Besides at home? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, he was a, a very violent person. And his mother, he, his mother um, killed her husband. <laughs> so he comes, you know, so you imagine how his home life had to be for him to choose, to voluntarily choose to go into war to get away from home. How bad home had to be for him to volunteer. Now, you don't, you know, like, you don't go in. I went, it was peacetime when I went in the service. He went in knowing that it was a full-blown, the Korean War was a full-blown Korean War. He went in knowing that to get away from home. So home had to be pretty bad. And he always told me, you know, as bad as you think you got it, I had it a lot worse. Okay, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting in the ER going, okay. <laughs> but yeah, he told me he had a lot worse than I did. That makes me wonder, to be honest, like a lot of people have different types of traumas that they have to deal with. Traumas potentially from their parents, relatives, etc., right? And as you get older, you start to realize that maybe there's some things that you do that are reminiscent of those individuals. Some people take one of two routes. Some people are like, I do this because my mother or father did this to me, so I do it too. And some people are like, I choose not to do this because they did it. Absolutely. You obviously chose not to do that as it was, or because it was done to you. What was it? The military that that was that did that for you? Was it seeing your mother? Like, what was it that made you make that choice? Because a lot of people, they blame right those people for their traumas, and that doesn't allow them to ever get out of it. You know, you're absolutely right. And what did it for me was um, how I felt. I didn't want my kids to feel the same way about me that I felt about my dad. That's what, that's what, when I, when I had children, I said, I don't want my kids to be waking up in their fifties and forties, punching and kicking and screaming and thinking about what I want them to look back on their childhood and have good, happy memories. I, I, there was a, we shot a movie called Magnificent Obsession. And there was a scene in there where me and my dad, they asked my dad, can you remember any happy memories, uh, childhood memories of you and CT? And man, I and Seema, I was waiting on this one, man. I'm like, I don't want to hear this. What, what, what? I mean, I want to know, you know, if he can think of one because I can't. I want to know if he can think of one happy memory. And I was okay. Well, what are you going? And he didn't have one. And I was like. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. If he had made up something, then I'd have been pissed off. <laughs> but you know, he didn't. You know, he didn't have an answer for him. And I, I, people don't know, but that was a big scene uh, for me because I was like, I'm waiting to hear this. What I mean, you know, I remember that time I took him to get ice cream. I remember that time we went to the park and threw ball back and forth. I remember that time you know we played football. I was waiting on to hear something like that, 
And, you know, he was, it was cricket. So, okay, Pops, at least you keep it real. As long as you keep it real, we cool. Because I would have blasted him out right on the booty. I'd be like, bullshit. No. Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> I'm like, no, that didn't happen. Uh, Samson, do you think that uh, dad was sometimes uh, too kind uh, when you were growing up? Like maybe, uh, maybe because of some of the things he experienced, maybe uh, he had like less rules for you or something like that? That's a really good question, too. Um, and the simplest way to answer that is just he was just a great dad. You know what I mean? So the rules I was always raised with respect. You know, um, my dad always taught me to say thank you for everything. Right. And um, I was often told that I say it too much. <laughs> and, you know, I apologize. Yeah. That's You know, that's just me. And uh, my mom, you know, obviously her being... Pacific Islander. She's all right. about respect, too. Yeah, I think uh, your dad, when I've asked him a question like that when you weren't here, um, he said uh, something to the effect of, uh, I'd rather give my kids an ice cream cone than a punch in the face. You know, and if the ice cream cone, you know, leads to them being uh, maybe coddled or something, like I'll maybe have to deal with that at some other time. But I thought that was a good answer. E.T., you mentioned how um, if... He didn't take up like weight training and all that type of stuff. It'd be cool, but you named him Samson. Yeah, and I I don't know if some people would be like realize the the like what the name Samson comes from. Absolutely. So weren't you kind of setting him up? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Honestly, uh, when I found out I was having a little boy, I was like, oh yeah, this is gonna be the next powerlifting king right here. He's gonna be the king of the bench press. He's gonna follow my footsteps. Samson, that's got to be his name. And then after I, you know, after I was like, oh, fuck, I, what if he, what if he don't want to lift weights? But, you know, thankfully it worked out. He likes lifting weights. <laughs> but, yep, I had that in mind when I named him. I yeah. sure did. CT motivates a bunch of people, literally millions across the world. Does he help you out as well? Or Absolutely. You, yeah, Just okay. his What's voice. that like? Yeah. Um, it's... I don't know, him being my dad, it's the same effect that it has on everybody else. Mm -hmm. Just because he's my dad doesn't, you know, separate me from anybody else. Mm. He's the pop, you know, he's pops to everybody. Yeah. At first, I wasn't cool with it. I was like, he my pops, you know what I mean? <laughs> but then I got older, and then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Now we're in the backyard every morning together. The, the, the tables pig, pig have iron. turned. Tables, that's right, pig yeah. iron. The tables have turned. Uh, now he's... In, in, it, they turned actually you know, more than one time when I first had my first open heart surgery. Um, I went into that one, you know, being uh, pretty big and pretty strong and came out weighing, well, I went into surgery weighing 275. I came out weighing 193 pounds and I was a, a skeleton, man. I looked, uh, and uh, my biggest cheerleader, always, 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 my biggest cheerleader is standing right here. Always, always, and I mean, any dad will tell you. I tell you what, if you want to do something, you wait till that little boy right there says, "Come on, Dad!" Oh man, you will kill yourself trying to do whatever he's cheering you on to do. <laughs> if you hear them words from your kid, "Come on, Dad, you can do it," you will kill yourself to try to do that. So whenever I, I had to. Come back from when 193 and skin and bones. I get Sansa be 
right, right long beside me. Come on, Dad. You know, when I was just trying to put one foot in front of the other, trying to stand up straight. Come on, Dad. You can do it. You can do it. After this heart transplant, my number one cheerleader, Samson. Come on, Dad. You can do it. So when I when I hear that, you know, even at 62 years old, when I hear my son say, "Come on, Dad. You can do it." That's the you know the, the best motivation I can mm-hmm. ever get right there. And he's I'm. Got baby weight on the bar. Now he's my instructor. He's yelling, come on, you can do it, Dad. Come on. So the tables have turned, the roles have reversed, and I love it, man. I love it. I'm just so happy to still be here. To, you know, be able to lift a couple of weights with my son and be in the backyard with him. That's every day is just a blessing. You remember Samson, uh first time that you recognized your dad to be like not just like kind of popular amongst people lifting weights, but you know, insanely popular, like where there's like huge line and a lot of people like, I mean, people tend to, uh, you know, some people get excited when they see him and they're like, oh, but some people really lose their, you know, like, holy F, you know, it's C.C. <laughs> Fletcher. Like when did you kind of first recognize that? Or that? Probably back in 2015 when he was uh, with Isatori and I seen that line wrapped around at the LA Fit Expo. Yeah. And, um, you know, people that were in wheelchairs, were trying to walk that were, you know, paraplegic, they're paralyzed. And they were trying to, you know, walk and told, you know, my father what the, you know, great impact that they had on his or he had on their life. And uh, that was huge. Um, that one can be so powerful. But not just his voice, just, you know, his overall energy. Did something like that or was there any other situation that led you to maybe because, like, you know, he's creating content gym and stuff like that, but, like, you're not always seeing all these videos. You're not always with him, I'm sure. Did you seek out, like, watching some of the content yourself, or, or did you just happen to be around it all? That repping 500 naturally, that's still my everyday motivation, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I suck at podcasts, guys, so bear with me. Oh, you're doing great. <laughs> uh, what about, like, friends or people in school? Yeah, what was I that was hoping like? you asked me about that. Yeah. Every time, and I took joy in this, every time that um, my friends or peers had dads and they looked at him like Superman, I was like, I'm going to show you the Hulk. You yeah. know, and he'll come and pick me up. I run to him. You know what I mean? But in the back of my mind, I was like, I want to be like that when I do decide to have kids. Yeah. I want to be that big presence. I want to, you know, and also be a good person, first and foremost. But I wanted to have that big presence you know as in the power it creates to be honest with you and you know lies and stuff like that it's just not your you know your average joe you know he was there and uh, picked me up every day actually but um yeah that was was, was it strange for you ct like because watch the old videos of you you're just kind of sitting there humbly talking about the exercises that you're doing and you're going about your thing and I think you worked for the United States Postal Service and you're you're doing that and you're lifting and then turns out that you end up uh just turning into like a lifting celebrity and and almost kind of the first almost like really the first of our kind you know there really wasn't we didn't see that much I mean we saw I guess with Arnold and there's like some people who tried it in some different ways and and had some success but in terms of that YouTube audience uh you were kind of the first kind of the first man through the wall. Was that, like, weird to you? And then was it, like, uh, did it ever feel, like, uh, just strange? Because your personality on there 
uh, was a little different than what we saw in those earlier videos. It still feels strange. I still don't understand it. I mean, my first YouTube video, uh, excuse me, Mr. Bell, I said, I don't give a fuck if you watch me or not. If you don't like what I got to say, turn the shit off. I don't give a fuck. And I had no idea what YouTube was. Only, my only question was when the guy came in and said, you want to be on YouTube? I said, can I say whatever I want to say? And he said, yes, you can. And that's what I chose to say. Turn me the fuck off. Um, uh, and in regards to the older videos, the first videos where I was kind and, and didn't say any bad words is because they wouldn't let me. Uh, they would not let me. I said, I said, I slipped one in there and they's like, oh, everybody, you know, the whole film crew almost had a heart attack. And I, was, I, I think I slipped the fuck in there and it was like, oh, my God, was, you can't say that. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, well, now that you told me, you know, I, I watched my mouth, so. I kept it clean, and but I was I was talking the same way back then. Anybody knew me back then knew it, that that was actually acting in that video. I see. Yeah, keep it clean. That was acting. Yeah, you were actually the first YouTube channel I ever subscribed to a little bit over nine years ago now. Wow. Yeah, so I, I caught the lifting bug late. I'm 36 now, but the first channel was like, let me learn how to lift, and there's CT yelling at somebody. So oh, man. that's it's amazing that's come full circle to be here with you today, but. One of the one of my most favorite things, and I'm like actually getting the chills. Uh, and I, I forgot if it's just a YouTube video or a documentary, but you were talking about when you'd go to like a meet and you'd go to the warm up room <laughs> and you'd walk back there. Which one of you mother is gonna get second place today? <laughs> Where does that confidence come from? Like I, somebody like me, I mean, I know I'm the smallest one here right now, but like. I can't even fathom having that much confidence to come into a room full of strangers and be like, which one of you is going to come in second place? Well, tell me now, because I got, first is me. Whatever else you guys want, you guys figure it out on your own. How, with your past of having your dad abuse you and all this stuff, how do you develop so much confidence to be able to walk into a room and just tell everybody like, hey, you're all getting first place losers over here? Obsession. <laughs> As I, you know, I was, um, I just knew, and I, it's probably because of, you know, the way I grew up, that nobody could um, match my obsession for winning, uh, for being the best. I had a big old chip on my shoulder, and I had something to prove to the world as far as I was concerned. Because my dad used to always tell me that, you know, if I wasn't, because his business was preaching. He was a preacher. He worked at the post office, too, but uh, he, he was a, a preacher, and he figured that I'd be in the family business, and I was going to be a preacher, and it, it really cracks me up. Sometimes people say I sound like a preacher, but uh, he says, uh, you know, if you're not going to be a preacher, then you'll never be anything. You'll never be nothing. If you're not going to follow my footsteps, you'll never be nothing. So I wanted to prove to him, you know, to everybody else that uh, that wasn't true, and I, I knew that. Um, I know Mark Bell and Encima. Uh, the preparation for the contest is what gives you that con that confidence. The preparation. You know that when you have prepared, that nobody worked harder than you did. Nobody was willing to do the things you put, go to the lengths that you were willing to. When you are absolutely positive that you have crossed every T and dotted every I, and nobody back there, nobody that shows up, anybody is getting smashed today. <laughs> and Seema, when you know you've got that, you when you know you've done everything that you can do, I know. You may not say it out loud, 
But you know, hey, they they gonna be in trouble when I show up. Mark Bell, you know when you ready, 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 they gonna be in trouble when you show up. I just happened to be a big ass mouth and didn't mind letting everybody else know what I was thinking in my head. Which one of you motherfuckers is coming in second? <laughs> my, yeah. And my, my training partner, Richard Schoenberger, exact opposite, exact opposite of me. He would never say anything like that. And, and I, would, I would say that, and Rich would be like this. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, man. It was like fire and ice, man. He was, he was a training partner. He goes strong as hell, and he could have said that. But he, it just wasn't his personality to say anything like that. And uh, the, the people that you rubbed elbows with were really high level, though. Like O.D. Wilson, <laughs> your training partner, was very strong. I think he benched around 600 pounds. Yes. So you've seen 800-pound squats, 800-pound deadlifts. It was pretty routine. And then I think uh, some of your martial arts were done with, uh, like, Billy Blanks or Banks. Yeah, right? Billy Blanks was, Billy uh, Blanks. we competed around the same time. He, he competed before me, and he competed, you know, during the same time, and it was the same weight division, too. And I was mighty glad that I tell them all the time, every time I said, like, man, thank you for not whooping my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a chance to, because uh, a lot of people know him now as just a Tybo guy. But Billy Blanks can whoop some ass. He was a real fighter. He was really knocking people out. And, you know, but people don't really know that part. But he was he was a bad dude. We've all heard that to get optimal sleep, you should cool your room down to 68 to 69 degrees. But that's not all you need to do. And that's why we partnered with eight sleep mattresses. Now they have the Pod Pro and the Pod Pro Cover. And the amazing technology of this mattress allows you to cool the mattress down to 55 degrees or to have it as warm as 110 degrees. But the great thing is that the temperature changes through the night based off your actual body temperature to make sure that you get the most restful sleep possible. You fall asleep 32% faster and you move around 40% less when you're actually asleep it's amazing and andrew how can people get it yeah this is amazing technology that actually changes its temperature based off of your sleep cycle there's no other technology like it anywhere else um, to take advantage of this head over to eight sleep.com slash power project that's e-i-g-h-t sleep.com slash power project and you guys will receive 150 dollars off this amazing technology links to them down in the description below let's get back to this video but that's a big deal, though, is to get around like-minded people that want to be the oh, best. Yeah. And you saw people, you know, that were really good in these different categories. You were able to carry it over into some of the stuff that you did, right? I tried. Did my best. Yes, sir. You know, that, what Mark mentioned right there, getting around good people, I, it makes me wonder because, like, I think that I'm not, when it comes to motivation, um, I think a big part of my motivation is because I have certain people around me. Like, I... I I have people around me that are always super motivated. So it would, like, I would feel out of pocket if I wasn't also trying to drive my shit forward, right? But a lot of people, like, when it comes to the idea of motivation, a lot of people are like, oh, maybe I need to get some TRT, or maybe my test is low, or maybe there's something that I need to do to, to bring out some motivation. But I'm, I'm curious, what do you think are some of the biggest drivers? Because you're known as somebody who motivates other people. But obviously, you've been through a lot of things that you needed to continue to motivate yourself through really tough shit. <laughs> So that makes me wonder for yourself, what do you think is the biggest factor in terms of maintaining motivation for a long period of time? Because there will be days where you feel motivated, and then there are days where you're like, I don't want to get out of bed, or I don't want to go to the gym. How would you suggest people do that? Find, find uh, what drives you. You have to find out what are you, what are you passionate about. What, one of the biggest things that bug me and seem is, is a 
excuse me, Mr. Bell, is a motherfucker that has no passion for anything. I did, gave a seminar in China once, and I said, so first you have to find out what your passion is. Lady shot her hand up in the air, and she goes, I don't have no passion. I don't have no drive, and I don't have any passion. So what do I do? <laughs> and I really wanted to tell her, you need to be in another seminar. But <laughs> I like, you don't have any passion for anything? Nothing? I mean, you don't have to be a weightlifter. You don't have to. I mean, if you flip pancakes, be a passionate pancake-flipping motherfucker. <laughs> if you wash dishes, be a passionate dishwashing motherfucker. If you sweep the street, be a passionate dish, sweet street sweeping motherfucker, whatever the fuck you do, find your passion. Be passionate about that, whatever it is. You don't have to be a way to find that passion. And if it's a really, really a passion, I'm going to tell you something. See, when, when all my strength was gone, everything left, couldn't do one push-up, had trouble putting on my clothes, standing up straight. Then you'll find out what real strength is. As if you've been strong all your life and you, you ain't never had a big ass sit by you. you know, okay, well, I'll, I'll come back. I'll be able to bounce back from this. I have to go. We hate it as weightless. We hate it when an injury or something happens. We have to take a little time off. But when you're talking about, hey, I may not even be able to wake up in the morning, then, I mean, that is a different type of strength. And without that passion, without a faith, the, the strength, the, that takes the strength to knowing that there's something bigger than you. There's, uh, this, is just, this is not the end. I know this is not the end. It, it's going to take the, the passion or the drive. You have to have something. And for me, it was faith. You know, I'm laying there. I don't know if I'm going to open my eyes the next morning or not. But I had faith. Big time faith. And, and, and the faith was not that I was going to wake up the next. The faith was whatever God got for me, I mean, it's okay. If I don't wake up in the morning, that's okay too. It's not in my control. I, I don't know whether I'm going to wake up or not. Whatever God decides, then that's okay. And I, I was, after that, after I made up my mind that I was fine with whatever the outcome was. It was well, aren't you worried? Aren't you scared? No. It ain't even it ain't even up to me. Why well, I'm gonna be worried about it? Why well, I'm gonna be sweating? I mean, or getting more gray hair. All, all this is gray, by the way. It's just for just for me and big time. So uh, why am I gonna be worried about it? It ain't even my control. If I could just say I'm gonna keep living and keep living, then I wouldn't need to believe in nothing else. I wouldn't need no faith. But I don't have that kind of power. I don't have that kind of control. So I had to look to somebody who did have that kind of power. The power over life and death. The power to say, yep, you keep living, or no, you don't keep living. I had turned, when I turned everything over to him, psh, I didn't have no more words. I wasn't worried about nothing. It ain't up to me. So, you know, well, did you work? No, not worried at all. How you doing, Mr. Fussman? Doctor's coming every day. How you doing, Mr. Fussman? I'm blessed. I opened my eyes up this morning. I'm blessed. I'm good. Good, Doc. <laughs> uh, Samson, did your dad ever uh, talk to you about? You know, he getting a heart transplant. Did they ever talk to you, like, just say, you know, this might be like my last day or my last days coming up? Like, because, you know, it's it's good to, uh, it's, while the situation is uh, sucks, it's good that you can have that conversation because sometimes people just, you know, die in car accidents and stuff. And when you know you're going to have a big surgery, uh, did you guys ever have that moment? 
Yes. Um, while we were waiting on his heart transplant or his heart to arrive, um, my mom was actually back in the islands, and she went with my sisters and my brother-in-law. They all went out there, and I was the one that stayed back with my dad. Um, obviously, I wasn't going to leave. Um, but there was a time, uh, kind of hard to, you know, just trying to process it. But there was a time where uh, he was in his chair, his, you know, his rocking chair, recliner chair. And um, it's bad. He's pale, you know. Um, and, you know, he told me, and I'll never forget this. He was like, uh, I, was, I asked him, are you okay? He was like, he told me to, shh. he's like, just, shh. he's like, I, I think this might be it. And his, you know, his eyes were, you know, he was going out. He was, you know, dying. And I put my hand on his lap and I said, you're not going anywhere. There you go. Because I heard God tell me this. Mm. I swear to God, you know, until this day. And I was like, you got to stay with me though. I kept talking to him, making sure he was, you know, responding, and he was responsive until the, you know, the paramedics came, and um, yeah, it was, you know, that was really, really, you know, tough, but not as tough because I already had that um, confidence right. because I already, you know, I heard God talking, so and he's here now. How do you get a heart? Like uh, you said, you guys said you were you were waiting on the heart. Heart gets shipped to you in like a box of ice or something. Like that. That's pretty much it, Smelly. Yeah, they when they find the right one. Uh, you know, we were um, the day before they called me up and they said, "Well, it's probably going to be a while. We think we're going to send you back to back home, and then we'll give you a call if something comes." So me and the wife were prepared to go back home. At about three o'clock that morning, they called us and said, "Hey, Mr. Fletcher, we found the heart." And I'm like, whoa, we found the heart. And I said, yep, everything matches up uh, good with yours. And about 7 o'clock this morning, we're going to bring you in and, and do the transplant. And I was like, it was, she called me just like, you know, uh, uh, she was telling me the weather. I'm like, it's, it's clear outside. We found the heart. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, thank you. You know, and I was, I was very grateful because I had flatlined uh, – Two times uh, the week before had flatlined, so I was like, "Man, I don't know how many times they could keep bringing me back." You know, what I mean? you know it's the fifth flatline. Five times you flatline. I'm like, I don't know how many times I can come back from these flatlines. So I don't want to flatline no more. So when she said we had a new heart for you, I was I was pretty happy. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie, I was crying. You know, you know. yep, I was ready, ready to go. Yeah. Now that makes me wonder. Uh, are you scared of death in any sense since you've died once technically, right? Well, uh, I guess <laughs> uh, technically uh, flatlining five times, you know, I told, I told the, the, the doctor, I said, well, you know, I, I've been dead five times, doc. And he goes, well, technically it was, what do you call a pause? And like a pause, I'm like, motherfucker, my heart wasn't beating, you know what I mean? So anyway, <laughs> He goes, uh, so I technically, I guess I paused five times. And um, so to answer your question, absolutely removed all fear of death. Yep. Don't fear death at all. It was the most, those pauses 
were the most peaceful, the most, um, re um, it's, it's, I've never felt that type. It's such a difference between being in a deep sleep and being dead. You know, it's, it's, the difference is you think, oh man, I got a good rest. I'm feeling really good. Try dying. I mean, it is no rest like being dead, man. It was uh, the most peaceful, most calm. So it, it will, I think anybody who's been that close or, or had that uh, near death experience will say the same thing. They don't fear dying anymore, and they'll they'll tell you that that would surety that death is not the end. That's not it. I mean, it's a, a different um, phase, but it's it's not the end. It's not the end of all. People think, oh, that's it. That's the, you know, a lot of people think that way. But anybody who's ever been that close to it will tell you it, it, it takes the fear. But what I I don't want to leave. I still like living. I still want to be here because I want. See my grandkids grow up. I like playing in the backyard with my grandkids. I, I love being here, and I want to try to stay around here as long as I can. But when it's my time, it's my time. You know, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll say, okay, you saved me enough time, so, you know, I can't, what, what can I say? Well, look, just give me one more time, one more time. Yeah, you gave me five. I need six. You know, no, no, I'm okay. I'll be okay with the next one. Probably uh, more fearful of not living while you're here oh, than absolutely. you are dying, right? Absolutely. Just Wasting time is my biggest fear now. Wasting time, you know, because it's so little of it and it's so precious that it's not to be wasted. I don't want to give the uh, the keyboard warriors any shine, and like, because they're just the worst people on the planet sometimes. The trolls, right? The last time we had you on, and we were talking about the heart transplant, and this, that right away they come in droves, saying it's the. Uh, We'll say the supplements. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's working way too hard. It's a bad diet. See, working out ain't good for you. What do you have to tell those people that are saying it was the supplements? It was all the damage he did to his body. He, I'm not even gonna say what they say, but you know what I mean. Like, what yeah. do you tell those people? Okay, um, the same thing I've been saying, you know, but uh, they don't say supplements. They I know, say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they steroids. I, just, I don't uh, want to be disrespectful. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I don't mind at all. Um, he 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 had an overdose of steroids and taking steroids for his whole life, and I don't know. And no matter what I say, there's always going to be people that say the opposite or say I'm fucking lying or full of shit or whatever. It's always going to be those people. Now you know it used to make me mad. It's what I would get on the internet and when I first started, maybe oh you say you definitely take steroids, and I'd be on there you know fuck you and da da da. Meet me in back in the gym. Come on, you know where I'm at, motherfucker. Come on, you know. I'd be ah, because it would piss me off. It would piss me off. I explained the the whole thing uh, numerous times, mag magazine articles, everything. People, hey, you no. Know, I, I, I when I was a young man, when I was a very young man, I told him when I first saw the guys coming to me and offering, I I tried him. I think I'm doing the right thing by being honest, open and honest. I tried him. Yes, I tried those for about six months. And what really, really got me, what really got me was, I was, it was something I was ashamed of. I was so ashamed of it. I didn't want my, I had a young son at the time. Oh man, I don't want my son to know that I'm trying this shit. I don't want him to find, so if, if I, so I tell guys now, if it makes you feel like that, if it's something that you're ashamed of, or you don't do it, you don't want your kids, you don't want nobody to know about it, then you probably shouldn't be doing that shit. 
told you I, that conviction, and I tried me, and I said the same thing in magazine, countless magazines, articles, before the internet, before YouTube. I just told the truth. And people, they, they don't believe it. I don't give a damn whether they believe it or not. And it used to really bother me. I said, oh, my God, come on, man, I'll take your drug test. You get 25, I'll give you $25,000 of my money. If I flunk the drug test, I'll get off the internet, get off YouTube, get off everything. you off social media forever. You won't ever hear me again. If you show up and give me, just doing anything I possibly could, just fight on it. I don't care. I don't care now. They can say whatever. And then I explained to him that my mother, all nine of her brothers and sisters, 10 of them, all nine of her brothers and sisters, all died from heart problems. So heart problems are hereditary in my family. My older brother was just a year and a half older than me passed away from heart problems. My dad had a heart. Everybody, my whole family history is lined with heart problems. It was, it was just my turn. It was my turn, man, and all them double cheeseburgers didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what advice do you have for my big little brother right here? Because uh, we look at him. Every, he can't go anywhere without somebody telling him he's on something. Of course, of course. But see, when I look at this young man, I don't have a problem believing that he's natural. A lot of people won't, because they do the comparison test. The comparison test right after, they'll say, uh, well, I can't look like that. If I, so it's no way possible that anyone could possibly look like that. They judging them, you on their scale. And you can't do that. And I'm, and genetic potential. I mean, it's always been like this. It's always been men that were genetically uh, superior, yeah. if you want to put it that way, to, to others. There's always guys that have been bigger and stronger than other men. Jim Thorpe, all the way back to, you know, the beginning of the Olympic Games, outrunning everybody, jumping over everybody, winning the Olympic Games, all the gold medals. Just And they didn't handle steroids. He wasn't on steroids. I don't think they even developed steroids back then. He was yeah. just genetically... Jack Johnson, the great boxer, a heavyweight champion of the world, knocking people out left and right. All the many, no steroids, just genetically superior. So I have no problem believing when, when I see somebody else, if the other guys say, oh, no, it's no, it's no way possible that he can. Oh, yeah, it's possible, motherfucker. Well, look at his dad or his mom. Or look at his, he's, he was destined to be a big motherfucker. So I have no problem with it. But that's me. Yeah. <laughs> The thing I hate about like this whole discussion or the, this thing is like the it doesn't change the fact that no matter who anybody is, if they're trying to get in shape, no matter what genetics they have, they need you, you need to still do the shit you have to do. <laughs> and you, you've got to not compare yourself to other people. That's the like, biggest thing. Yeah. Like I think when I was younger, you know, where I was with what I was doing as far as like my, my coaching stuff or whatever, I'd always be comparing myself to people that were making more money than me and it would fuck me up in the head. Because I'd be like, oh, this guy's 22 and he's fucking making this. Or she's doing this. I'm here and I'm not there just yet. And it would get to me. But I think the big, the big thing is, like, when I look at your content, it's motivational. Okay? And it's, it's things that I can use as an example to bring myself forward in anything that is I'm trying to do. So rather than us comparing ourselves to every person, what they've been able to do, just take what they're doing apply it and just do the work no matter if it's in business entrepreneurship whatever fitness just do that work so you can become the best version of yourself and fuck the genetics <laughs> the genetics aren't that that it, it matters but it doesn't matter still got to do the work 
even if you take roids or whatever the fuck you take, if you don't work, you just, you know what I mean? If all you had to do was take steroids and everybody would be yoked. If all you had to do was take steroids to be yoked, everybody would be walking around yoked mm-hmm. jacked as fuck, if that's all you had to do. But you still got to work your ass off, whether you do or don't, and that's the part they don't want to do. They don't, and, uh, why won't they say, I want to say, uh, people always compare my son to me. My son is much, much better than me. Because when I was his age, like I told you, people come to me, hey, you could be on the cover of this magazine. If you do this, you can, you, you, you can lift weights for a living. You can lift, and that's what I wanted to do all the time. So, you mean I can lift weights and make money? Shit, yeah. That's what made me want to try. Instead of throwing all these mail sacks at the post office, I can lift weights and make money. And I love lifting weights. Shit, yeah, I'll give it a try. It wasn't even illegal back then. So I said, fuck, I'll give it a try. Come to my son all the time, all the time. If you could just do the same speech all these years later, all same speech, you could do this, you could do that, you could be, you could do this, you could pass your dad, you could do this, you could do everything. If you just give this a try, if you're that strong without doing it, if you just give it a try, and my son had more strength than me because he said, no, fuck no, I don't need it. More strength than I ever had. More person I ever had. So people compare to me, I won't be like him. He had the strength to say, fuck no, I don't need it. And that, that takes a pair of, uh, takes a lot of strength. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should try to open it up to uh, Q&A. Yeah, um, yeah. We have the ability to do that right here, or do we yeah. need to close out the podcast? No, no, no. Let's, let's just keep it rolling. Just do yeah, it right so if anybody hand. has any questions, you can either line up right here, or if you guys, I mean, not all at once, but if you want to walk up here, We'll turn this microphone on, and then you guys can ask CT, Mark, anybody, uh, if you got a question. As they wait, <laughs> uh, it's still your motherfucking set. Yes, so sir. one thing that we like to preach on this podcast is, um, you know, especially if people don't get it, sometimes they'll, they'll see the podcast because, like, oh, uh, Mark Bell, whoever that guy is, he lost 100 pounds. How did he do it? I want to lose some weight. But then they stick around and we're like, hey, the things that you're going to learn in the gym, all that stuff, that's going to carry over into the office. So can you quickly like explain what it's still your motherfucking set is and how that mentality can help the person that's going to the office Monday morning? Like, how can that mentality help them climb that ladder if they wanted to? You know what I mean? As soon as soon as uh, adversity hits. Uh, no matter what the field, whatever, you know, I, I got so many things I got to get out before tomorrow. I got so many jobs, so many tasks I got to do. Whatever it is, a lot of people, as soon as the real adversity hits, they throw up their hands. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? Oh, my God, what am I going to do? You know, put your head down. You know, do the fucking work. You know, do whatever it takes to get it done because no matter what, what comes, what goes, five flat lines, heart transplant, whatever comes and goes, hiding in the closet before your dad comes home, wanting to disappear as a kid, whatever comes and goes, it is still, as long as you're breathing, at least as long as you're still on earth, it is still your motherfucking set. You got life, still your set. Set ain't over till you're dead. That's where it comes from. Yeah, where did it first originate from? I think maybe, didn't it? You were doing a workout maybe with like Mike Rashid or something like that, right? Big Rob. Oh, okay. Yeah, Big Rob. We we came, we came, uh, it was in the gym uh, when that, that phrase was coined. 
that's the the background for it. But that phrase was coined. Me and Big Rod was in the gym, and we was uh, putting them through the paces. And uh, Big Rod went up, went away, and he threw up. Uh, he came back, still had shit on his mouth. I'm like, uh, wipe that shit off the corner of your mouth, Big Rod, because the steam motherfucker set. He left in the middle of a set to throw up, and I'm like, steam motherfucker set. We get back, buddy. But uh, that, yeah, that's how I came about in gym terms. Yeah. Your dad has uh, put me through the gauntlet, tricep gauntlet, and a bunch of other workouts. Um, has he shown you some tough love in the gym where, where situations have uh, been pretty difficult? Absolutely. Um, the gauntlet still is a oh, uh, crazy, crazy uh, workout, especially when you do the Iron Marathon mixed with it. So, you know, it's just He's a- like, we're going to do 500 reps today. I'm like, <laughs> what? Why? That's going to kill. Now, who is this old lumpy motherfucker with his oh, T-shirt? Oh, yeah. All these muscles and shit. How you doing, man? Good, C.T. Fletcher. So, overtraining. Yes, you know, when sir. I'm training in the gym, sometimes your voice pops in my head. Yes, sir. And I'm questioning, am I training hard enough? <laughs> but where's that threshold of overtraining? And I think you've given your opinion before that most people aren't near the threshold. But just any more updated information, and especially now with Samson, uh, from him also, like where is the threshold and how do we know if we're pushing it? And, and do you still think that even amongst the people that are training hard, they're still not even training hard enough? Uh, I'm so glad you asked that question, young man. Uh, me and Joe Rogan had a real debate about this. <laughs> and he goes, uh, you say there's no such thing as overtraining, right? And I said, yeah, yes, I sure did, Joe. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. And it's a whole lot of people that feel the same way that I'm full of shit when I say there's no such thing as overtraining. Because uh, in my opinion... Um, if you suffer some from suff- uh, suffer from some effects that you think is overtraining, it's mostly because of something that happened uh, outside the gym or outside. The- when I say overtraining, I mean you did too many curls, you did too many squats, you did too many. I have never seen a motherfucker do too many curls. I never seen a motherfucker do too many squats. I never seen a motherfucker do too many deadlifts, and you know, suffer ill effects from that. I know people that do it, you know, every day, seven days a week. And just like gymnasts train for the Olympics, they do the shit four or five hours every day and no overtraining. Now, if they didn't get enough sleep, they didn't have the proper nutrition, they partied all night long and they went to the gym and they fucked themselves up. And somebody said, that's overtraining. I say, bullshit. It was because of that, oh, that drinking or the partying or staying up too late or whatever. But you didn't do it in the gym. Outside circumstances, something that had to, you know, contribute to that. But just, I did too many, because uh, I have bench press from sun up to sundown and didn't fucking, you know, I, of course I was sore, but I didn't fucking, I didn't suffer from overtraining. I, I, I think that it's from personal experience, it's just in, impossible to, in the gym, to overtrain in the gym. Uh, now, I know a lot of people disagree with me, and that's, that's fine. We just have a difference of motherfucking opinion. I've been doing this shit for 50 years, uh, and I have yet to see a person that went into the gym and did too many reps, because the kind of training I grew up in, I had a uh, training partner, his name was Big Jim, and he'd go in the gym, some, on the weekend, we'd go in the gym, and he'd say, look, I'm not leaving this motherfucker until you leave. I said, we're going to be all day. Because I ain't leaving through you. And we would be in there all 
but just bench pressing all day, no overtraining. So I, I just think it's uh, impossible to do it through physical, you know, physical imaging. But now other contributing factors, if you, like I said, you didn't get the proper nutrition, didn't get proper rest, then you go in there and try to do something like that, or then, then you can have a fucked up condition, get yourself up. And then people will say that that was because of overtraining. Yep. How, how about Samson? How do you, do you feel the same way about overtraining? Absolutely. I, I feel like there's no limit to the training. Um, I'm Monday through Monday, honestly. You know, until I get tired, then I go again. You know, yep. that same day. Because uh, I train like there will be no tomorrow. So you know you're done when you're just totally wrecked then. Yes. That's what you just <laughs> and I look at my babies, get re-energized, and yeah. I go right back out there. Uh, right, he's so mimicking me. The cheeseburger diet. So, so you're famous for the, you know, getting in the calories. You needed to eat a huge amount of food because you had a fast metabolism and you're trying to grow and be strong. So just going back in time, what diet would you have done instead that still would have met your goals? Like the, for those of us that want to get the calories in and knowing what you know now, what would you have done instead of the cheeseburger diet? Oh, man, that's a damn good question. Because, I mean, I swore by them double cheeseburgers, man, because um, I was at my strongest when I was eating all that bullshit, you know? And I, I thought it was uh, not just the people, you, know, you ate four Big Macs, four French fries, and, you know, that was just lunch. They, they, they don't realize that that was just my lunch. Every day I ate that for lunch. But there was other meals, and I'd have a steak or two, you know, uh, that same day, and I would bring a cheese, double cheeseburger in the gym and be eating one while I'm bench pressing. It'd be set between sets, and I'd be eating double cheeseburger. I, so that was just one meal, but I was a big time beef eating, you know, motherfucker. And I ate a whole lot of beef, and I, I felt that was the the way to get strong was to eat a whole lot of beef. And if uh, I had to do it all over again, I would choose cleaner. I would choose cleaner. I didn't. Back then, I didn't care what it was. I didn't care what, I, all, all I wanted was the calories, and I felt that beef gave me strength. So, you know, I would try to eat a cow every day, man. But I would try to eat a lot cleaner. So it'd yeah. be like grass-fed beef now. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> grass-fed beef, and, you know, and I'd yeah. throw some salmon in there and some lean chicken and shit. But, you know, back <laughs> but then, still I, definitely the beef backbone. Yeah, the only yeah. meat I ate back then was beef. Yeah. How about Samson? What's your, well, how tall are you, Samson, and how much you weigh right now? Uh, Six one, uh, two forty two. Uh, yeah, big. Yeah. So, so what are you eating to get enough calories in? And how old are you again? I'm twenty six. Yeah, yeah. So, still fast metabolism. So, yes. what do you eat? Um, partly, you know, bad and partly good. Uh, I eat better because of trifecta. Shout out to trifecta. I eat their beef now. I used to eat cheeseburgers too. And so, I was feeling really strong, too. Yeah, so still a beef foundation. Oh, yes, right. for yeah, sure. Okay. Because right. it does make you stronger. <laughs> All right. You <laughs> good. Mark got something so Go get common. some beef. <laughs> Mark's, Mark's the beef guy, for sure. Yeah. Thank Lots you. Cool. Thanks, Tony. Uh, you never went Thanks, to, like, Tony. Did you ever go to, like, Burger King? It was always just McDonald's? Uh, I, McDonald's was the closest thing to my job. So that's why I was McDonald's. I mean, I, I would walk in there, they'd have it all on the tray already, and uh, employees would just like to stand around and watch me eat it, man. <laughs> so, like, 
Uh, well, a couple of times, they, you know, they just gave it to me for free because they wanted to see if I could eat all that. Chocolate like, well, shake, vanilla shake, what yeah. else? The strawberry was my strawberry flavor shake. of choice. Wow. Yes. <laughs> That's for the extra strength. Yeah, hot apple pies. <laughs> Don't be shy with questions. Here's you know, a great opportunity to ask uh, C.T. Fletcher some questions. So anybody else uh, want to pop up? I know it's a little nerve-wracking being on the microphone and being on a podcast that's yeah, downloaded by it. just a couple hundred thousand people. But <laughs> it'd be great to have you guys uh, add some more questions in. So it's still my, I'm not going to say the F word, it's still my set, right? Hell yes. <laughs> when, when's the first time that that came up? Because I still, that's another thing that plays in my head all the time. And I'm wondering, it's an obvious thing, but like when was the first time that it actually, you actually coined that phrase? Uh, me and Big Rob, I had a, a good friend uh, named Rob. We were doing a, a particularly, I think it was the first time I had him do the marathon on the bench press. Um, which is 210 reps, by the way. And we were doing the marathon, and uh, Rob, in the middle of, you know, halfway through the marathon, he runs to uh, the trash can, and Jimmy throws up, comes back, goes, Pops, man, I'm sick. And he still had a little throw up on his mouth. I said, just wipe that shit off the corner of your mouth, because it's still your motherfucking set. Lay your ass on back down on the bench press, and let's keep going. So that's, that's where we first coined the phrase, in the gym, with training with Steve Muffet You can't quit in the middle of the set, man. That's where it came from. Where where did some of these old school crazy uh, workouts come from? Because I think everybody here probably is aware of some of them, like, you know, 21s that you do with, like, bicep curl or tricep extension or something like that. But it seems like you have a whole giant list of exercises that are like that. Yeah. um, From, I I saw, um, there was a guy that that got me. really into doing a trillion reps, and his name was Jim Britt, we called him Big Jim, and we used to work out in his garage uh, every day, and Big Jim's, once I got to the point where I was stronger than him, he said, well, I bet you can't out-rep me, but then it became a repping, uh, repping challenge, and every day we would battle back and forth to see who do the most reps, and that's where most of those uh, work, and this is 35 years ago, most of those routines that I do now came from that garage and comp. If you were to change anything about the way, if you were to change anything about the way you trained in the past, because you got super strong, right? But would there be anything you would do differently to potentially add more longevity to your training? Or would you have just kept it the same? I know nutritionally you would have changed some things, but as far as training is concerned, would you have changed anything too? Well, my training... um, Style changed drastically. Well, it kind of reverted back to all the reps. Like I started with uh, Big Jim, and we got into trying to see to do the most reps all the time. And then I turned, wanted to be a competitive power lifter, so I had to uh, do shit like Mark Bell does it. You know, and I didn't believe in programming or any of that shit at all. I just thought, you know, I'd go to. But once you, I, I want to interject for a second there. <laughs> Many years ago, like when I got into lifting, no one ever talked about programming. There were, there were no programs. And then when that started to come around, people yep. were talking about programming. I was like, what are they talking about? Like computer programmers? Or like, yeah, I, yeah. I literally didn't know what they were talking about. Kind of all we had was just lift heavy. Yep. <laughs> we Absolutely. We didn't really have like a program. I guess maybe the five by five was yeah, like maybe, maybe yeah. like a program, but there was no programming. Absolutely. was, And I did not believe in it. I was like, oh, hell no. Uh, I just figured, 
two or three reps at the top weight, you know, and, and do that. But I, as you start competing, you go and get in the contest, and you want to get you lift heavier and heavier weight, then somebody says, hey, have you ever tried a program? I'm like, what the fuck is that? I didn't know what the program was. And I so he told me, oh, you got to start at this percentage and go back. What do you mean? That's a lot of math. Yeah, man. This is, are you crazy? I hated math. <laughs> You want me to do that? But anyway, that, that uh, programming works. I tried it once, and I was hooked after that. Yes, sir. <laughs> I actually have a question. Um, I keep getting injured recently. I've strained a muscle in my upper back. I've pulled my Achilles tendon. How do you come back from muscle injuries? Because I'm, I'm always fearful now. Like, I'm in pain actually right now, but I wasn't going to miss a chance to not see you in person. But, I, I mean, this injuries, pulled muscles, strained muscles, how do you come back from that and not be in fear of re-injuring yourself the second you start lifting heavy again? That's a damn good question. And what do you, part, one more, what do you use? Like, do you, do you use, like, CBD cream for muscle pain? Do you just take, like, you know, Motrin? Well, how, do you, how do you get over those? I think that people think uh, that... The, the things that they're experiencing are, are like normal. You know, we, we tend to think, oh, it's normal for me to have knee pain because I'm a lift. It's normal for me to have elbow pain or pain in my neck because I squat all the time. <clears throat> and it's actually not true. Um, the human body is really set up really well to be pretty much pain-free. So you should be able to recover from your workouts to the point where you're not experiencing tons of pain. If you do experience pain in the gym, uh, it's not pain in the in the muscle, or it's not pain in the joint. It's like uh, irritation, or um, not irritation even. It's just stress in the muscle. Like that's what we want, so that our muscles can grow, so we can get stronger. But we don't really want hardly any pain at all. And so I, what I usually tell people is, if you have pain that's above a level of three out of ten, it's not worth it. Just find another exercise. So if you go to do like a lunge, or you you know you keep hearing people say, oh, you need the big three, you need the big three, you need to squat, bench, deadlift. But when you go in the gym and you try the big three and you're not successful and it causes a pain that's on a level of five or seven or a ten, those exercises aren't for you at the moment. And many, many times, I would say 100% of the time when I've told people, they're like, man, I really have a lot of pain when I do tricep extension. And I say, have you ever tried it with five-pound dumbbells? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, so you, you don't know if you always experience pain on a tricep extension. You just may not have gone light enough yet. So I would encourage you to examine a lot of different exercises, you know, try, try a lot of different movements, and uh, don't be afraid to kind of lean into the exercises that maybe aren't as like tough or aren't as uh, hardcore. It's okay to do those, like utilize those to their advantage because you'll see guys like Jay Cutler, um, even guys like Ed Cohn, people that have built tremendous physiques and have built tremendous amounts of capacity for being strong have utilized a really wide variety of exercises. It's not always just a squat, bench, deadlift. So don't, just, uh, don't feel like you have to do particular exercises to, make, to be successful. Wh whatever the exercise is in here, you don't necessarily need a leg press to have big legs. You don't necessarily have to lunge to have big legs. But you got to find resistance in some form. So try to find things that, that don't hurt. Concentrate on things that are, um, concentrate on the things that you can do rather than being concerned or worried about the things you can't. And then lastly, I'd say, 
you know, it wouldn't hurt to be like a massage therapist or a professional just to kind of look and just, you know, make sure things aren't like busted up too bad. Thank you. Uh, real quick, what was your name and where are you from? My name's Mike Cisneros. I'm from West Sacramento right, right here. There you go. So just because Thanks, it, I thought it was great, Mike was like the first car I seen when I pulled up to come into work. So he's been waiting a long time. Really appreciate that, Mike. Great. Thanks, man. Thanks. Cool. And then so other people can still come up and ask questions, but it might be a little nervous because it's C.T. Fletcher, the legend. You're a lot of people's idols. What is it like when somebody comes up to you and they say, C.T., you're my hero? Um, it's, uh, I still can't believe it because, uh, I consider myself, uh, is absolutely nothing from the guy, uh, when I was young to walk into a contest and ask which one of his motherfuckers is coming in second to, uh, the transition to, I had to go through something. I had to be humble and to be brought down. And now I consider myself to be absolutely nothing. To, you know, not worthy of any praise whatsoever. I didn't do nothing special, nothing whatsoever. I'm just, you know, I'm blown away when, when people, I, I, I just, I just want to go, no, I don't deserve it, man. Don't say that about me. You know, I'm not, because I'm, I'm nothing. I'm, you know, I'm absolutely nothing. I'm just blessed. To still be that's it. How you guys doing? Appreciate hey, you coming. Um, my name's Nige, uh, at your boy Nige on, on uh, all, all social. Uh, but I'm really, I'm passionate about business and teaching people about just in helping them with their ideas to be successful. And you guys have done, all of you guys have done that for me. Um, been following you all for, for many years. Um, but wanting to make money and lift weights or do something that you're passionate about so you can lift weights or be athletic or, or do those types of things. Can you kind of go over some of the things that you are involved in business-wise and uh, some of the, the best or the biggest successes in business that you've had and some of the woes, maybe something that, that people can look out for? Okay, I'm going to start. Then I'm going to let the real successful businessman uh, talk. Okay, I am, first of all, I'm a horrible businessman. <laughs> I want to tell you guys that uh, they, I've had people ask me a lot of times, hey, I want you to be on this wealth seminar panel, CT, so you can tell other entrepreneurs how to become wealthy. And I tell them, hell no, because <laughs> if I knew, <laughs> I'd be wealthy my goddamn self. <laughs> so I'm not, man, I'm not wealthy, and I don't, I, so I can't tell other people how to get wealthy because I'm not a wealthy person myself. Uh, the only thing that I can tell people uh, is they say, well, how do I, how, in my, I want to start a YouTube channel. How can I be successful? I, I got, I, I, the only thing I can tell people, the best advice I can give them about that is to be yourself. Be true. I don't know how many people told me in the beginning, oh, CT, don't cuss no more, man. They're going to think you're an ignorant guy and, and from, you know, the street, your ghetto. And just don't, all the cussings, you're not going to get anywhere if you keep cussing. And I said, fuck you. <laughs> Kept right on cussing. And the same people is cussing their ass off today doing the same thing. So that's all I'm going to say is be yourself. Be true. 
and people can they can usually tell when you're full of shit. And how to be a successful businessman? That's Mark Bell, right? There. <laughs> DC, how many? Uh, in your estimation, how many different like cities or how many different like states and how many different countries have you been in from just lifting weights, basically? Oh man, oh, um, cities. We were going to a different city or a different country every weekend. Before COVID hit, we were flying all over the world, England, Australia, Russia, uh, China. We, you know, we hit all the countries in a lot of uh, military bases. I would always, you know, travel to a lot of them because I'm ex-military. We did a lot of traveling to the military bases to try to, you know, uh, encourage the troops and lift with the troops and, that was all, you know, uh, no, I never charged anything for that. So we did, we did that because I feel like um, I'm still here. I owe, I owe a lot. I owe a big old debt, but I'm always trying to pay it back. How much uh, money have you earned from uh, breaking a world record in any sort of lifting? Or, or how much money did you earn uh, in you know, going to some of these competitions that you went to and kicking everyone's ass? Mark Bell, I know you already know the answer to that, but I'm glad you asked because maybe some of them don't. Nothing. <laughs> a big old zero. Uh, when I was six time, a six-time world champion, this is what I earned from lifting weights. Trophy? Oh, I got, I got oh, yeah, yeah I, man, I got my trophy. I got a, a room full of trophies and no damn money. <laughs> but I got some trophies and some memories, that's for sure. After you broke your first record... Uh, and didn't receive any money, did you stop? No, hell no. Hell no, I did not stop. Uh, I thought, you know, um, that if I lifted enough and won enough world records that I could get that recognition and some sponsor would come knocking on your door and say, hey, I got this pot full of money that I want to give you if you just say that my shit is the best shit ever. And I was, so I kept on lifting, hoping that call would come and turn 53 years old and still the phone didn't ring. <laughs> and some guy comes in the gym one day and says, hey, you want to be on YouTube? And that changed everything. Yeah, didn't get on there until I was 53. Just the moral of the story there is just, you know, uh, if you follow what you're interested in, you'll probably hang in there long enough for it to turn into something eventually. This, this opportunity just... You know, it, it didn't come out of nowhere. This YouTube opportunity didn't come out of nowhere, but he also wasn't even trying. And you'll find more often than not when people aren't really trying to do anything in particular, uh, sometimes they're trying to um, maybe just make something more efficient or make something a little bit better. And so they're like, I'm going to put this out into the world and then end up being super successful. Somebody like Jeff Bezos, I think, is a really good example of that. He just, like... He just looked at the category of books, and he's like, there's more books in the world than any other item that you can purchase. I don't know how he figured that out, whether that's true or not, but there's just a lot of skews of books, and there's a lot of different books in, written in many different languages throughout history. And he was just thinking, like, well, if I can just create some way for people to get books, that would probably be great because it would, it would uh, really further educate people and sound like it could be something that's super profitable. And he's got that famous picture of him in his, uh, uh, like, you know, little office in his, <laughs> in yeah. his house with the cheap little Amazon uh, thing in the background. And you hear stories like that kind of over and over and over again. For me, it's always been the same thing, just 
continue to follow my interest. Um, and then like, I <clears throat> just try to be creative and try to think of uh, ways to make things better. Like as you're going through the thing that you're interested in, whether it's uh, you play basketball or you like jujitsu or whatever it is that you do, maybe you have an idea for uh, a certain type of clothing that can make you better at that particular thing. Maybe it's you, uh, maybe it's a piece of equipment that you use in the gym, maybe it's a supplement, but uh, every single person in, the, in this room right now has the ability to come up with ideas. And a lot of times, some of the best ideas come from thinking of like the worst idea first. <laughs> and so you think of an, an, an idea, if you have trouble being creative and you're like, man, I, I just, I don't think I have that in me. Just walk yourself through that of just thinking of like, what would be really dumb or what would be opposite of something that would be really effective. <clears throat> it, it just allows you to spitball ideas and to kind of put them forward. And then over time, uh, you'll be able to come up with something. Uh, I would also like to say that a huge part of anything that has um, kind of led me to any of this stuff is the fact that I literally grew up with weights and money in the same exact spot. My dad uh, had a, a business that he ran um, out of our basement, mm -hmm. and the other part of our basement was uh, a gym. And so I would get done with lifting, and I would walk over to where my dad was doing taxes and teaching people about finances, and he would say, I made 350 bucks today. And he would like show me like the checks or show me the money that came in. Or, and I was like, that's so, you know, I was only working out for two hours. How do you make that much money? This is crazy. <laughs> Um, and then I also noticed on the checks when they were like they were written out to him that it had like family members' names on it, and I was like, "You make money off of our family members?" <laughs> I thought that was really strange because I'm like, "That's Uncle So and So. Why wouldn't it just be free?" And he's like, "Oh no, I." He's like, "I've done them for free a bunch of times, but they don't really let me do it for free anymore because I provide a service for them." And many years later, you fast forward, and and I've been to like seminars and stuff like that where. People get a crowd, they get a line of people uh, that want to take a picture with them and, and things like that. Um, but they didn't really have an item to sell. So when I had people come up to me, they're like, oh, I bought the slingshot, or hey, can I buy a slingshot here? And I say, oh yeah, we got a thing over there, you can go purchase them right there. So I don't think there's any shame in thinking about money and thinking mm -hmm. about how you're going to be financially successful and kind of putting that forward. Mm -hmm. Another thing that my dad taught me was to uh, Never be ashamed or worried about how much you like your work. I think for some, maybe just people in general, but I noticed this with a lot of men, sometimes you get caught up in your work, do so much work that you're no longer there for your family maybe, but he said, you know, don't worry about it. If, if the work feels good, you know, keep going for it to, to a certain degree, obviously, yeah. but uh, all those things have been really helpful and have assisted me to uh, what you kind of see here today. Yeah, well, I, I feel like a lot of my um, success in life, um, whether it's business or, or just life in general, comes from uh, the, the big failures in life. And I'm sure you guys can all relate to that. Um, more for, for Mark and CT, my children are, are older, um, 18, 22 years old. And, you know, me and me and my wife now coming you from... you 25, you damn self. So hey, he is going to be that old. I appreciate it's all that steak shake shake I, uh, I've been drinking, uh, which I need, I need some more chocolate. It's, it's always gone. So there we go. 
Uh, I wasn't pointing at you and Seema. No, no. Um, anyways, um, uh, just having several businesses and learning from these big mistakes um, and seeing my kids have a lot of the enthusiasm and uh, maybe skills that, that my wife and I both possess, but have zero desire to be a part of the businesses. Um, you know, I've expressed to them how, how it makes me feel like, like some sort of failure that I've had. Um, and, and, you know, I'm just kind of curious what, what you guys think about that and how you feel about it, because it's not like my kids are young teenagers. Um, they're, they're already adults. So, and I would love for them to, to take part and be enthusiastic about it. But, you know, it's kind of like the, the saying is, uh, you know, uh, hard times make hard men or women. And, and, uh, so, you know, easy times make soft men and women. And I'm, I don't want to say that that's what they are, but it's a, it's, it's a different scenario. And I'm just curious on your thoughts. I think, uh, life altering experiences are around the corner for everybody, you know? So you're, if, if, uh, you feel that there was no friction, like not a lot of friction in your household, uh, for your kids to grow up and experience, I think that that's actually a really, positive thing and I think that that's a good sign that you I mean as uh, uh, Samson pointed out he just said hey he's been a great dad and that sounds like you're protecting your children from a lot of things uh, and just because you may have protected them a lot and they haven't really experienced much friction yet I don't think that's a negative thing um, they will find <laughs> they will find the stuff themselves and it doesn't always have to be a negative we don't have to go through negative experiences to end up being a positive and strong person. Um, I, th I think that I, I feel that way. I don't feel like I really, I mean, I've had family members die and I've had a couple things happen, but, um, and I, I, as a kid, I thought I was dumb. You know, there was like certain things, but like I've had a really, really awesome life and it was provided to me by um, both of my, I've had two parents that were there all the time for pretty much everything. Uh, so I don't have any complaints. I went through life kind of, uh, I'll just flat out say, pretty frictionless. You know, I'm not afraid to say that. That's, that's, that's my life experience, and I know different people have different ones. So uh, maybe I was able to start off um, a little bit further ahead. But for your kids, it might be, you know, uh, something, something similar. I, I, don't, I think it's a misconception that you need to, like, learn from your failures or you have to have these huge, tragic things happen. Because for me, uh, fail I've noticed failure all around me. I've always been someone that observes a lot. And I've seen, you know, my brother die from, my brother died from like wanting to be great. You know, he didn't die from like drugs. He didn't die from alcohol. He died from a desire to want to be great, but he didn't have the ability to be good first. And so it tortured him. He was a, a tortured soul. He, he, wa he wa always wanted more. And, and we know, we all, we all at this table, we all know that feeling. Um, but for him, he didn't have uh, enough self-control to take the small, those small steps. So while somebody might look like they're having their life be maybe not a lot of friction or turmoil, but over a period of time, they might just be putting one foot in front of the other. And next thing you know, you'll watch your kid kind of start to like head down a direction that you're super pumped about, that you're really excited about. I've seen that with my own son. My son is like, he's... He's in here training with his friends, but he's also um, somebody that his uh, nephews and, and nieces and stuff like that really look up to because he's one of the older kids. And my son is so quiet. He's so reserved. 
you don't hear a peep out of him, so you don't really recognize him as like a leader. But over the last couple of weeks, I've been like, what is going on with this guy? This is pretty cool. So I think the big things and the good things are probably yet to come for some of your kids. Right on, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. How old is your son? How old is your boy? Uh, my son is 17. Getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, we got another question popping up over here. Uh, hi, CT. Hi, Mark. Um, this How you doing, question is for you guys. Um, I'm a small business owner right here in Sacramento, and I just recently lost my mom, and I got three little brothers, and I got to ask you guys how can I be the best role model for them? Man, uh, I lost my mom a few years back, and yeah. I, I miss her big time. Yeah. Still miss her every day. It's not an easy thing. Yeah. Uh, people say, you know, you'll get over her. Time, you know. yeah. time does help, but it won't erase. It won't completely erase. You don't, you don't want to erase it anyway. Yeah. Um, that's a hard one. Yeah. But the, the best uh, example I think that you can set for them is being true to yourself. You know, you don't want to set uh, an example of pretension, of you pretending to be something that you're not, yeah. and then they'll try to pretend to be something that they're not. Yeah. But if you're true, be your true self and stay true to yourself, uh, hold fast to your principles, and you set that type of example for them, they see that, you don't have to tell them or beat them over there and try to, you know, make them, if they see the example that you set, that's the most for watching you. Watching your example is how they'll, you know, turn out, man. They watch you and see how you deal with things. They'll be able to turn. I'll let Mark build. Yeah, I think uh, maybe your brother's seeing how you deal with uh, the death of your mother. Like that might be something that can be helpful because, uh, as we know, you can go many different directions when somebody dies. Yeah. Uh, my brother Chris, I believe he mentioned after my brother Mike died, who did. Uh, overdose on drugs. I think my brother recognized that maybe it was like a year after my brother passed that he uh, had been drunk every day for like a year, you know, and that was the direction that he ended up kind of ricocheting uh, in that direction. And uh, fortunately for me, I didn't end up going down that same path. I had different set of circumstances. I had other family members around me and stuff. But in in my opinion, you know, a lot of life is uh, interpretation and you can take uh, your mom's death whatever way you want. You can be sad about it and uh, be disappointed about it or angry about it. But a lot of times those modes of interpretation aren't really useful or helpful towards you uh, continuing each and every day to come up with victories and to uh, be thoughtful of the people that are around you and just be productive in general. Uh, It's really easy to uh, say, hey, like things have been stressful, things have been hard. Uh, I'm going to, you know, drink tonight. I'm going to do this. And it's really easy to kind of slip on that banana peel type thing. So I'd just be kind of cautious of some of that. But, uh, you know, as uh, CT was talking about, I think it's important that you're not trying to really do anything else or be anything else. Let them grieve in whatever way they need to grieve because their situation is different than yours. Um, and uh, lastly, I, this, I advise this of everybody, whenever you deal with a death is to, try to take the characteristics of your mother that you really enjoyed and really thought, thought were really powerful and try to carry those on. You know, those are things that you can pass on. 
your brothers, your friends, and even your own children someday. Um, I, I got respect for all you guys at the table, but I got one more question for CT. Yeah, yes, sir. I got a 69 Chevelle. Uh-oh. <laughs> now you're talking. Which car is your favorite? Classic. Uh, uh, without a question, a 63 split window Corvette. Oh. Uh, 63 split window Corvette is my favorite fast car of all time. Uh, and I happen to like the 69 body style a lot better than 70. And 70 is the most popular one, yeah. but I like 69 better. So you did a good job, man. Yep. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, thank you guys so much for your time today. I really appreciate you guys coming out here. Thank you, everybody, uh, for yes. listening to the live studio thank audience. You. We have not done anything like this, so this is really cool. Andrew, take us on out of here, buddy. Yes, sir. Yeah, again, just reiterating, thank you guys for being a part of this. This is freaking incredible. Uh, man, thank you, CT. Sincerely appreciate this. I can't even I forget what I'm supposed to say right now. <laughs> but uh, thank you, everybody, for checking out this episode on iTunes and YouTube. If you guys dig it. Please hit that like button, hit that uh, subscribe button if you're not subscribed already, and subscribe on iTunes and drop us a review because that really helps. Follow the podcast at Mark Bell's Power Project on Instagram, at MB Power Project on TikTok and Twitter. My Instagram and Twitter is at I am Andrew Z, and on TikTok at the Andrew Z. Jean Claude Van Daddy, where are you at? I didn't see my Yin Yang on Instagram and YouTube. I didn't see my Yin Yang on TikTok and Twitter. Samson. Where can people uh, find you? CTFletcher.com. <laughs> you don't have to remember shit else, but CTFletcher.com. <laughs> Samson Fletcher Official. There it is. On Instagram. Samson yeah. Fletcher Official. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate having thank you guys. You. And thank you. The, uh, the love that you guys have for each other is like is just awesome. And it's really cool to uh, just every time I get around you, like I, it gets me fired up, gets me excited. And uh, it's great to see like you're maturing over the years because, you know, I've been... Uh, talking to your dad about you kind of on the sidelines here for a long time and uh it's been nothing but positive nothing but good things so keep doing what you're doing thank you guys so much strength is never weak this week is never strength i'm at mark smelly bell catch everybody later thank you yeah.